Hello, everyone. It's great to have you with us for another episode here at Amazic, where we talk to industry leaders and influencers who are creating really cool solutions in the cloud native and the Kubernetes space. I'm Twain Taylor, editor at Amazic.com and host of this podcast. And I have with me today, Dan Benjamin, who is the co-founder and CEO of Dig Security. Dan, it's great to have you with us. Welcome. Fantastic being here. Thank you so much for the invitation. Excited. All right. Yeah, uh, looking forward to really talking to you about security, especially uh, as it relates to data. But before we get to that, uh, just wanted to get to know you a bit, Dan. Uh, if you can tell us a bit about yourself and uh, what you've been up to until you founded Dig Security, uh, that'll be a great start. Of course. So I'm Dan Benjamin. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Dick Security. I think I've been in the cybersecurity industry for almost the past 20 years. I started my career in the Israeli army in the 8200 units, like most of the Israeli founders you probably met. Mm -hmm. I was there for almost four years as a software engineer. And after that, um, in 2009, um, co-founded a company called IDM Logic, which essentially uh, dealt with identity and access management. How do you statistically role mine permissions in the on-prem world. Back then, cloud wasn't very, very popular. Um, mm -hmm. How do you provision and deprovision roles? How do you simply connect to all the different types of places that you have permissions and identify suburban Zoxley violations and compliance violations? That company got acquired by CA. After that, spent uh, multiple years both at Google Clouds, at Microsoft, uh, in different kind of cloud and security leadership roles. I've lived multiple places around the globe, uh, Tel Aviv, Mexico, the US, uh, London. I'm married to Leah. Uh, she's actually British. Uh, I'm father to Eli. And currently, we live in Tel Aviv. Happy to be here. Okay. All right. All right. Wow. That's a lovely intro. Um, so, uh, yeah, I want to ask about, uh, you know, what was the idea that got Dig Security started? Uh, so it's about data. And so what made you realize that, you know, um, data is a, a really pressing problem in the space and you needed to create something to solve this? Uh, could you give us kind of the origin story? Of course. So <clears throat> my last position at Microsoft was helping shape the multi-cloud security strategy for the organization. So how does Microsoft become AWS security and GCP security and OCI security? And when we started kind of mapping out the ecosystem and understanding what products translate across different products, where do we have challenges um, that we're not solving today? We started having kind of multiple customer conversations. I think in less than two months, I had uh, 100 conversations with Fortune 500 CISOs. And kind of one thing kept repeating itself from every single like security leader that I had a conversation with. All of them kind of pertain to data. First off, what data do I even own? Sounds like a very simple question, but probably one of the most convoluted questions today that an organization needs to answer, especially because we have this proliferation of multi-cloud and kind of multiple different types of data store technologies. We have new data clouds and deployment modes. So that question has become a really, really difficult question to answer. Second, how is that data being used? which applications, users, vendors, contractors are touching which pieces of information. And lastly, how do I protect that data? Either at rest, in motion, or in use. 
or from specific scenarios that we as an organization are worried about. It can be data exfiltration, it can be ransomware, it can be compliance breaches, it can be data misuse. And I think those main challenges that essentially uh, were brought up by all these different types of security leaders are kind of the main um, thoughts and concerns that uh, we wanted to kind of tackle it um, as a small company. So I decided to leave Microsoft. Uh, about a week later, we closed our funding rounds. I partnered with two great friends of mine, Ido and Gad, uh, also second time founders that sold their previous businesses. And we started building. Uh, we had some great design partners, both from kind of our past history uh, or kind of friends that uh, introduced us to other security leaders. Um, and then we kind of hit the ground running. Now today there's a category and we're all kind of talking about DSPM and cloud data security and DDR. But back then uh, it was still very, very early. Gartner, I think came up with the category, I think 10 months after we started the company. So um, um, we kind of were uh, pioneers in the specific category in the space. Mm -hmm. Wow, awesome. That's a great uh, you know, uh, origin story. And uh, just wanted to dig in a bit more into what you're talking about, which is uh, companies, you know, they don't know or they ask what are the different types of data we have and they don't have a grasp over all of it. Uh, could you uh, say which are those most common blind spots uh, and could you describe for us what are the different types of uh, data that uh, companies mm -hmm. have and which are the ones that are actually the tricky ones that companies most often ignore? It's hmm. a great question. So first off, a typical enterprise today will have data in five main locations. They have data on endpoints, kind of personal machines of, uh, of employees or cell phones. They have data in the email, right? Uh, typical exchange. They have data on-prem, if they're still running on-prem, right? Um, fourth, of course, is SaaS application. Uh, it can be... Uh, Office 365 and G Suite and Salesforce and Drive. And the last one, of course, is public cloud. Now, unfortunately for customers, there is no kind of single pane of glass of one single product that can span over kind of the five main locations. Uh, currently, this, this the situation is that we really have five different products for five different locations. At DIG, we initially started by focusing on the largest growing segment that was completely underserved. So today, 60% of the world's data sits in public clouds, uh, but that's also the only place today in the public cloud that doesn't have a dedicated security solution. We have EDRs to protect our VMs and we have NDRs to protect our networks, but we don't really have a DDR solution to protect our data. And that's kind of the main issues that we wanted to focus on. Now, I believe that all locations today are important, um, but when I kind of think about it as a practitioner, I try to think, where do I have customer information? That's number one. And where do I have large amounts that I can that I can try and herd into the right location, right? Um, I think that data security, solving this hermetically is an unsolvable problem. There's too much data. There's too many locations that data lives. Uh, and trying to tackle this through one single system that will kind of solve all your data security problems is a great dream, but uh, I don't think that it's really solvable. So when I kind of work with data security teams inside the large organizations that we work with today, I always say to them, focus on the main problems, focus on the locations where data is growing the most 
and where you have kind of the vast majority of sensitive information, so whether it is regulated data, whether it is customer information, whether it is PII or PHI, depending, each organization has different information. But uh, I think a lot of organizations today are kind of new into the clouds, but they already migrated a lot of information into it. So that's kind of where we started. But of course, our goal is to expand wherever data lives in a typical enterprise. Now, some main issues that we see, at least in the cloud, is first off, organizations are pretty blind to anything running on IaaS. So if they're running a VM with a MySQL on it or Postgres on it, most organizations don't even know that they exist because we don't have good discovery solutions. Second, uh, I think that a lot of organizations kind of forget backups and snapshots, which is a big, not only cost factor, but also risk factor because most organizations don't really monitor their backups and snapshots. And that's exactly what happened to Imperva. An attacker found their backups started copying the information on and no one was monitoring backups. They only monitored the real data stores. And third, of course, I think that we're now seeing kind of a, a large emergence of kind of the new data clouds, Snowflake and Atlas and Databricks um, that are solving big problems, great products, but Again, we have the same types of issues. Uh, what data is being copied into the Snowflake environments? You kind of have everyone trying to mesh everything inside the Snowflake because it's so easy to like query, but then we're moving a lot of information that we shouldn't have. So there's a lot of kind of issues around data discovery, data posture, data risk, data flows. And of course, how do we detect when something bad happens or that violates our standards? Interesting. And uh, thanks. That was a really uh, nuanced answer uh, with a lot of details in there. And uh, what I clearly see is that, uh, you know, uh, that each uh, organization needs to sort of define its own data security strategy and plan. And it, it's different for each organization. And, uh, you know, that means building a solution that caters to all of those different types of organizations is all the more challenging. Uh, and I'm sure that you put in quite a bit of thought and I'm sure you'd share with us later how you know uh, you've taken into consideration all of the different variations and created a product that caters to all of those needs uh, but you know into that solution I wanted to just uh, uh, dig in a little bit and kind of make it real about uh, you know what's at stake and uh, you know if you could uh, give us some example you gave us one example of uh, Imperva I think you mentioned uh, just now mm -hmm. uh, give us an example to make it real of you know what's the cost of data being compromised and uh, what, what have you seen out there some of the horror stories if you could share one or two of them hmm. of course so I've seen many data breaches in my life uh, both at Google and at Microsoft but also with my customers so a lot of customers essentially come to us after a breach Ideally, they come before, and hopefully we can prevent it. But uh, many times they come to us after a breach, so we kind of know these stories. So I'll mm -hmm. give you kind of a couple of examples. Um, we work with a very large bank. Um, and when we came into this bank, um, the first exercise that we had to do was kind of data discovery, data posture, understanding what information they had, but also put put in uh, like data detection response capabilities. What we discovered there in less than 24 hours is that for the past three years, every single day, all the financial reports of that bank were being copied to an external AWS account that doesn't belong to them. Now, how can this even happen? 
It happens because no one really monitors how data is being used after we get permissions. We don't have the capabilities. Today, a cost, an average cost of a data breach is $4.2 million. Uh, that grows much bigger as the <clears throat> um, number of records that, that essentially get exposed is higher. Now, where do we have big aggregations of a lot of records um, all kind of meshed up together? The cloud, because that's where you have databases. That's where you have kind of data lakes. If someone steals one file from an Office 365, it's bad, but it's not terrible because worst case scenario, it's one file. A single database, even one gig of database can be millions of PHI records, healthcare information. So um, the risk of getting exposed information in the cloud is terrible. We had another customer that we had uh, a database backup that we found that was accessible to the world with, I think, 4.7 million PHI records. Um, now, a fine on something like this can be tens of millions of dollars. Um, so there's kind of a big risk in the public cloud today and kind of what we see. And we see a lot of things. When I was working at Google Cloud, one of my largest customers got breached. And they got breached because an attacker was using a very new API that Google Cloud released. Um, Google Cloud basically released back in the day the ability to export an entire SQL database into a CSV file. It was a new API, no one was monitoring for it. And that's what the attacker did. Went, by, went one by one into each one of their cloud SQLs, exported the entire uh, database into a CSV file and took all the information away. No one in the organization knew. And we see these scenarios all the time. We have such a variety of different types of data store technologies and the ability to become an expert, both from kind of um, usability standpoint, but also from a security standpoint, it's very difficult. Because today, a typical enterprise, if they run single cloud, they will have around 20 different types of data store technologies that they use, operate. Multi-cloud, we're already talking about at least 35 different types of data store technologies. Uh, and that's across thousands, if not tens of thousands of instances. The problem here is the vast, is the um, size of the problem, not kind of the, because data security is not new. We always wanted to essentially prevent data being copied outside or mass downloads. Problem here is the variety. Um, On-prem, we used to have five different types of data store technologies. In the public cloud, we have 30, 40 different types of data store technologies. On-prem, we used to have hundreds of databases. In the public cloud, we have tens of thousands. <laughs> so I think the size and the variety here is the biggest issue in the specific category. And the fact that we can't really take the on-prem products and put them in the cloud because the challenges are just completely different. Uh, in the cloud, you can share a database backup. It doesn't exist on-prem. <laughs> um, in the cloud, you can do um, mounting of database copy of database backups and copying the information out in on-prem. You can't do that. So the challenges are a little bit different in each location where data sets. And I think having the know-how as an organization across any location, whether it is SaaS or public cloud or on-prem, is just very, 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 very challenging. Yeah, I think you really described it well there about just the problem of uh, how cloud has just moved on really fast and solutions are catching up and how even just one GB of uh, exposed data could mean uh, millions of dollars worth of, uh, you know, um, uh, data and, and fines beyond that even. Uh, I want to ask about just uh, following up on that, uh, the kind of gap that exists in uh, the the data security market today uh, where do existing solutions fall short? Or another way of thinking of it is, uh, 
what are some of the ways that organizations think they are secure because they've got a certain way of doing things or they use a certain tool, uh, but actually they're not. Uh, could you talk a bit about that? Of course. I think we're talking about the fallacy of DLP. Uh, yeah. <laughs> now, I would say that um, the fallacy that exists today in the market is that many organizations deploy DLP technology. Now, DLP technologies, don't get me wrong, are, are very useful. Okay. Uh, it's good products. They're mature products. Uh, maybe you want to just explain uh, uh, DLP in very brief uh, as we talk about this. Of course. So DLP technologies are technologies that were born, I think, around 20 years ago now. Uh, data loss prevention solutions. Mm -hmm. were essentially agents that you installed on endpoint solutions, on personal computers, on servers. And they essentially prevented people from copying information that they shouldn't outside of the organization either via email, either via USB sticks, when we used to have USB sticks that we used to use, um, um, either via FTP, any method that that computer or that endpoint essentially allowed them to copy the information out. Now, are they useful today? Yes. We see a lot of organizations deploying DLP very successfully. Now, as I mentioned earlier, most organizations today have data in five main locations endpoint, email, on-prem, SaaS, and public cloud. Now, the reason that I said that there is a fallacy around DLP is because most organizations that have DLP solutions think that they're protected. However, 90% of cloud data breaches never reach the endpoint. So the breach remains in the cloud and stays in the cloud. So not disregarding from DLP solutions today, they're just inefficient or irrelevant when we're talking about cloud. Same goes in SaaS. Um, I used to lead the Microsoft Caspi, which is a cloud access security broker, SaaS security, SaaS data security. And in SaaS, for example, you can take a super sensitive file that lives in the Office 365 and share it with um, an attacker, or share it with your personal email. That's a data theft, right? DLP solutions will be irrelevant here because that file never got to the personal machine, right? It remained in the SaaS and got shared to someone else. Data loss prevention solutions are irrelevant when it comes into SaaS or public cloud today. And I think that's kind of the fallacy that I was talking about earlier. Not disregarding from the importance, just the um, just their ability to essentially protect data that lives outside of the endpoint. All right, all right. Yeah. Uh, wow. That's a, that's a great example of it. And uh, so, yeah, so it seems like, you know, a lot of focus today should be on cloud, should be on SaaS, where things actually matter. Uh, and it seems like organizations still focus a lot on traditional security like DLP. And uh, talking about uh, a modern approach to security, and you mentioned earlier as well that, you know, Gartner came up with uh, the category uh, DSPM itself 10 months after you started. Uh, could you uh, talk a bit about this? Uh, what is DSPM and uh, explain it for us and why it matters? Of course. So, so DSPM stands for Data Security Posture Management. Uh, it comes from a, a line of posture management solutions that essentially exist for multiple different locations. We used to have CSPM, which I think is probably the most popular SPM uh, category out there, which essentially talks about cloud infrastructure. How do we protect uh, infrastructure in the cloud? How do we make sure that we don't have misconfigurations? When we're talking about DSPM, we're essentially talking about a new philosophy. How do we build data-centric security? How do we visualize data risk? 
how do we identify what data do we have? Um, where is that data being stored? Who is accessing which pieces of information? How is data moving inside the organization? Where do we have data misconfigurations or data sovereignty issues? And of course, where do we have data risk? That's kind of the combination of kind of everything risk related around data into a single product that is able to think from the data outwards versus kind of the traditional approach that we used to take up until now, which is kind of, let's protect the actual perimeter and hopefully that will also protect the data, right? Um, so it eventually talks about data centric security. How do we protect the data? And then how do we make sure that it doesn't come, kind of leave our parameters today? Mm -hmm. Interesting. And it seems like uh, it's very context. Uh, it has context that it's hard, you know, what's the context around the data? And I think another key idea, which you just touched on was don't just focus on the perimeter, but uh, think about how you can build security from the inside out. I mm -hmm. think those are some really key principles when thinking about, uh, you know, uh, protecting data. Um, so you spoke about uh, DLP and how it's not enough. You spoke about DSPM and uh, some of the principles uh, behind mm -hmm. the basic principles behind uh, protecting data. Uh, and there's another angle as well uh, to this conversation, which, uh, you know, uh, Dig Security solves for, which is uh, data detection and response. Uh, could you mm -hmm. touch a bit on that as well, please? Of course. So when we kind of talk about real-time data security in the cloud, um, unfortunately, in the cloud, we don't really have one single prevention point, right? As we mentioned, data can move uh, and get extracted or copied or shared um, in multiple different angles in the cloud. So there is no single data loss prevention location that you can kind of put one enforcement policy. Uh, that's where kind of a lot of um, angles today in cloud security in general talk about detection and response. Um, what we essentially built at DIG is the probably one of the most comprehensive engines for data detection and response solutions in the market. It essentially allows us to detect when something bad happens with our data. Now, as we mentioned earlier, the biggest issue in the cloud today is not the scenarios that we want to protect ourselves from. I think that's quite simple. I think every organization today can think about the scenarios of what we want to detect uh, themselves. The biggest issue is how do you detect them? <laughs> um, now, let's just take a very simple example. We want to detect that no one copies a production database with their personal machine. Very obvious scenario that we want to detect from, right? What is the different, I mean, what is the biggest issue? How do you detect this across three main clouds? How do you detect this across 40 or 50 or 60 different types of data store technologies. Just AWS RDS has five to 10 different mechanisms of how do you download a production database with a personal machine? How do you find those five to 10 mechanisms? How do you find that across Azure SQL? How do you find that across Cloud SQL, which is Google Cloud's one? How do you find that across Synapse and Cosmos and DocumentDB and any other data store that essentially exists in a customer's environment? And I think that's the biggest issue today in data detection response. How do we detect when something bad happens? How do we enrich the context of what we know about the data that um, just got extracted? And how do we respond to that through the existing solutions that the organization has to minimize business interruption, but also bring the right context to the right security teams? That's how I look at data detection response. And um, the reason that we combine that with data security posture management is because posture is not enough. That bank that we were talking about earlier had fantastic posture. Data was encrypted at rest. Uh, data wasn't accessible to the world. They knew what kind of information they had. 
but they still had uh, an insider. That insider was a cron job, okay? And that cron job every single day had, had permissions to read the information, so the information was decrypted, and copy the information out. Um, and that's where detection and response essentially comes in. Not only identifying what data do we have and do we have the right posture, but also detecting when something bad happens. That's kind of the combination of static discovery, but also uh, threat detection into the world of data. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, um, you're describing about just the challenge of different data store stores across these different uh, cloud platforms. And, uh, you know, uh, the challenge being just monitoring all of them. Uh, and, you know, I saw on your website, you know, that uh, it mentions that uh, your solution can integrate with any data type and any cloud. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, it's quite interesting that you know how you make you can make that claim, and I just want to uh, want you to explain a bit more about you know uh, what's the challenge with this, and how does mm -hmm. uh, Dig uh, you know meet the, how does Dig solve for this? Just uh, monitoring every data store, no matter where it is. You could talk a bit about that. Of course, of course, that's one of the main challenges. Uh, also for us, right? I mean, that's what we're building here at Dig. So Dig today supports any type of data. We're talking about unstructured information, which is files, right? Uh, structured information, which is usually relational data stores, right? Like uh, RDS and Azure SQL and Google BigQuery. Uh, and we, of course, also support semi-structured information. It's going to be NoSQL databases. And we support that across different types of deployment modes. It can be hosted solutions that are cloud, but also VMs that anyone can boot up and install whatever database that they want. Now, as you mentioned, it's a very, very big challenge. Um, we have a very large team that all they do uh, is data accessibility. How do we get to the data? Because I think that the issue is once you have access, access to the information, uh, let's say that um, row in that specific database, you can derive all the contexts for the data classification engine to run. But the biggest issue is, in my opinion, getting to that row. How is we as a, how is we as a vendor not essentially make this hard for organizations. In the past, I'll give you kind of one example. In the past, let's call them Gen 1 data security products. Okay, let's talk about Veronis, let's talk about Big AP, kind of all the older vendors. Uh, older vendors that were born for the on-prem world essentially needed to have a connection string into each type of data store. They needed to have, um, so let's say for example, you have a thousand databases you needed to manually connect a thousand databases into their product. In the cloud, we have different mechanisms. And with Dig, we get connected once into the cloud and automatically Dig is connected to every single data store that, that lives in the customer's environment. So instead of manually connecting me to thousands of data stores, Dig just gets connected once into the cloud and will automatically scan any piece of information that lives. There's a lot of technology of how do we get to the data? Um, how do we essentially bypass that username and password to essentially do the data analysis? But the whole purpose here is how do we make it easy for data security teams to gain control over information? We have customers with 50, 60, 70,000 data stores in their environment. Anything that is manual today is irrelevant. It kind of laughs at the problem. <laughs> um, no one would ever connect 50,000 data stores manually into a single product. It does, will never happen. So at Dig, we understood that very early on, and Dig is connectorless. We don't have a single connector in the system. Everything will be done automatically when the customer essentially comes into our platform. 
Awesome. So uh, I'm assuming this is API based, right? To make an API connection or is it an agent uh, based solution? No, no, you can't install agents in the cloud. Um, yeah. I can't install an agent on an RDS or anything that is hosted by the vendors. Now, uh, by the CSP vendors, I mean. Uh, no, we have a cool technology that allows us to partially use APIs, but then we have kind of a, an IP there and how do we actually connect to the data through sure. those APIs. <laughs> Interesting. Great. Uh, yeah, I was wondering if you could sort of give us a visual, uh, you know, demo illustration or just some screenshots into, you know, uh, how this, how your product works and what it does. You could uh, share something with us uh, that you have. So just a quick insight into DIG. When we kind of look at um, our solution, we call ourselves a data security platform. And our goal is to protect um, organizations' data in the multi-cloud era. Now, initially, of course, we start with data discovery. We're able to find any type of data that lives in the customer's environments. Unstructured data, semi-structured data, structured information, whether it is running down hosted solutions like PaaS, um, unhosted solutions like IS, and of course, databases as a service like Snowflake and Atlas. Now, once we find the data stores, we auto-classify them. Uh, DIG uses, I think, about 130 or 140 different types of classifiers that we already built proprietarily uh, at DIG. And of course, customers are able to build their own in, in the platform itself. Now, once we found the data, classify the information, we bring context to the data. How is data moving inside the organization? Who has access to it? Um, whether we have regulated information or PII or PHI or PCI or any type of sensitive information to the organization. Data sovereignty is becoming a massive issue for a lot of organizations today. Now we have a lot of data residency issues. So if you have customer data in India, you need to keep data in India. If you have customer data um, in Brazil, you need to keep it in Brazil. If you have customer data of California residents, you now have CCPA. Uh, so each organization has uh, their own different types of compliance regulations that they're mandated to. Um, and of course, when we have data exposure, our goal is to identify data risk. And we combine that with our detection and response policies. So what we did at DIG is we studied hundreds of different types of data breaches that already happened in the cloud. Identified what were the scenarios that led to those specific issues. We mapped out these scenarios, and then we started building these detections and responses across any type of data store that we know that exists in customer environments. It can be unstructured data stores like buckets. It can be file shares. It can be analytics data stores like BigQuery and Redshift. It can be databases like that. And once we find all these different data stores, we essentially not only bring posture to them, but also detect and respond when something bad will happen. We don't deploy any agents or proxies. Everything um, integrates in a, cust a customer environment in a couple of minutes because uh, we're completely out of band. And we have zero interference with the customer's cloud because we're completely out of band. We don't actually connect to the data store itself. We typically work on um, a side environment uh, in a customer's environment, so we never copy the data. And we basically work with three main types of technologies. Cloud native APIs for our discovery metadata and posture. We use cloud native logging for our detection and response. And we have an outpost that sits in the customer's environment. And that is what does data analysis and the data classification without copying any information out. So DIG will never see customer's data. 
um, we never copy data out. And that's, of course, how we work with banks and insurance companies and retailers and healthcare and anyone that has data in the cloud. So I'll stop here. Any questions? Um, how does this how does this outpost uh, deployment work? Uh, so, do the customers actually have to set up any infrastructure for this, or is it uh, is it uh, in SaaS based and you host it? I mean, you mentioned no. It's on so the they cloud. typically run uh, yeah, either sorry. a cloud formation or an Azure ARM template or a Google Deployment Manager in the in the respect of the clouds because we mm -hmm. typically have one outpost per cloud mm -hmm. in the customer's environment. Uh, they basically install a couple of roles. From there, Dick, Dick takes over and does the data analysis automatically in the customer's environment. Okay, okay, cool. All mm -hmm. right, yeah, it looks good, yeah. <coughs> Thank you. You can move on. Cool, so a typical architecture in a customer's environment looks something very similar to this. <coughs> we typically have one outpost in the customer's environment, one per cloud, uh, depending on course, the clouds that they operate in. Um, they have one in Azure, they have one in GCP, they'll have one in AWS. And then essentially that outpost will do the data analysis and data classification. Uh, and we'll take out the classification insights into the dig, into the dig platform. So it will send us any type of, um, we found credit cards and file X and bucket Y. We found um, social security numbers and column X in database uh, Y. Um, and of course, it will send us all the logs for the data analysis and data detection response. And with DIG, we're able to visualize the findings for our single platform. We're a SaaS-based solution, and we're able to visualize all the information that lives in the customer's environments. Yeah, I, I see that. Yeah, there's a lot of care uh, just to make sure that it's all done in a secure way and that, you know, you don't have access even to, you know, the customer's data, uh, which is very important. Of course. And, yeah, looks great. Yeah. This and of helps. course, we integrate with any SIM and SOAR in the market. We can, of course, send all of our alerts into the customer SIMs and Slack and webhooks. Anything that essentially supports webhooks today, we can work with. Um, and customers can build their workflows around their Jira and around their uh, service now and any other product that they use to essentially operate their security products. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, this is a great overview architecture diagram. Of course. Um, and we're happy to do a, a longer demo for organizations that uh, are interested in this and they can just reach out to yeah. us on, on the website. That's easy. Sure. What are some of the most uh, common uh, metrics that uh, your users uh, will get when they, you know, log into their dashboard and dig. Uh, if you could sort of comment on that, what what do you normally what can, what should they expect to see? Mm -hmm. So typically, they'll come in once dig will start analyzing their environments. They'll be able to see a lot of different types of um, issues. First off, they'll be able to see a visual map of where do they have data around the globe. Uh, what kind of data they have around the globe, where, the, where do they have social security numbers, where do they have uh, email addresses or developer secrets that are just lying around in the environment. They will automatically find them and visualize where they are around the globe, which clouds they're running in, which assets they're running in, which data stores they're in, and which columns uh, uh, they operate in, right? Uh, so we're able to build a full map of the customer's data that lives in the customer's environment. Okay. Second... 
will visualize what kind of data risk they have in their environment as well. Whether it is sensitive data that is accessible to the world, whether it is data that is violating the specific compliance regulations like GDPR or CCPA or LGPD, whether it is malware that we were able to find in the environment or snapshots or backups that are just exposed, exposed in the environment today. DIG is able to visualize and identify those specific, those specific scenarios. On the other side of it, DIG will start automatically monitoring any type of sensitive uh, data usage. So if someone now, once DIG is already deployed, will do a mass download or copy data outside of the cloud, we will automatically be able to, to essentially detect this in the customer's environment. Um, and of course, we send all of these to any type of ticketing system and SIM and outposts and we're able to help customers not only discover what data they own, where does that data reside, where would they have data risk or data flow issues, or of course, detection and response capabilities that they up until now didn't have at all. All right, all right. And so if there's an issue, like let's say, uh, you know, data exfiltration, uh, data theft, uh, what what would uh, a user expect to see, and you know, um, what kind of help would they get from uh, dig information, you know, that they can act on? Uh, could you share uh, an example of that? Mm -hmm. Of course. So whenever we see a violation, let's just take a simple one: data being copied outside of your cloud. With dig, not only you'll be able to see who is the actor that did this. Okay, how did they do it? Uh, what was the mechanism that was essentially being used? Um, how did they do it? Whether it is through the CLI or through an API or through an SDK or through the console in AWS, what was the IP? What was the MITRE attack framework that they violated? And we even show the sets of raw information that made us trigger. What were the exact set of events that made big trigger when we essentially found the environment today? So we combine that not only with users, but also kind of what was the actions that they took? How did they take it? Which machine they used for? Uh, and any other information that the organization needs to essentially now investigate and remediate. All right, all right, great. Yeah, that's a lot of context, a lot of information that you know they can just use and quickly understand what's the priority level and take you know the necessary mm -hmm. action. Sounds great. Uh, I want to jump a bit into talking about governance and compliance. Uh, if you can talk, you you kind of mentioned that already and just the challenge of the different compliances across different regions. Uh, but how does uh, DIG help with just, uh, you know, staying compliant and just uh, governing all of the data that's in these different places and that probably is governed by different laws in different places? Mm -hmm. Another big challenge. Um, mm -hmm. So when I look at kind of compliance, the issue today is it became a little bit unbearable for a lot of organizations, especially multinational enterprises that operate, let's say, in 30 countries, right? Um, then they need to sometimes comply with 30 different types of compliance regulations. Sometimes there's also multiple compliance regulations in a single country if they have specific sets of information. So the issue there is how do you essentially not only understand the data that you own, but also how do you map that data and its compliance to all the different types of compliance regulations that you have. DIG already supports, I think, the top eight different types of compliance regulations, whether it's PCI and HIPAA and NIST and um, uh, CIS and GDPR, but there's many others that we're constantly adding in to help organizations cope with that data compliance out there. Um, because we have that visibility into the information, how's the data being moved and how is it being stored? 
we're able to help the organization with the data compliance component, the component of it. All right, all right. Hey. Uh, so, you know, winding down, we've got like the last few questions to kind of understand. It sounds really exciting, you know, all that you uh, explained about DIG and, and uh, the various things that it does and how it kind of gives you so much intelligence about your data that you can act on. Uh, but, you know, as, as your uh, users, as your customers start using DIG, uh, what are some of the initial results that they see or someone who's listening to this and is uh, considering DIG, what would they expect to see in how many days or weeks would they see initial results and what would those look like? Excellent question. So in less than 24 hours, we usually have an initial map of the customer's data. What do they have data risk? What kind of data do they have? What do they have developer secrets or database backups or snapshots or exports? that we've been able to see in the environment today. We'll be able to flag if we see something bad that is already happening. Typically, it's kind of daily jobs. Uh, the entire production database once a day is being copied to staging or to test, right? Um, so we're able to see those types of scenarios. Uh, and we're able to identify what should be remediated first and what should be remediated later. Uh, typically, in the first kind of uh, week, it's kind of the... Uh, Oh no moments, right? We installed the uh, dig and now we see a lot of issues with data. Uh, but that's good because as we remediate them, we essentially remediate a lot of financial risk. Financial risk that can cause an organization uh, to lose a lot of money if that, uh, that data has been exposed or exfiltrated or if an auditor essentially comes and gives them a fine. So we're able to kind of help them a lot on that aspect of it. And from the security standpoint, we help them implement DLP-like controls in the public cloud, which up until now didn't exist. Mm -hmm. All right, awesome. Um, and uh, what's the next step for someone who's uh, excited to know more about DIG? Uh, what, what do they do after listening to this, after watching this podcast? Um, so first off, of course, you can come visit us, dig.security. Uh, Always happy to kind of receive uh, messages on LinkedIn uh, or via email. My email is dan at dig.security. Um, come talk to us. Uh, we're happy to kind of show you more of the products. Uh, we have a fantastic blog being maintained by everyone in the leadership team at Dig, from product to engineering to research, uh, myself, our marketing team. Uh, so those are kind of good, fantastic resources that we're able to kind of share. But of course, let's talk. I think that's uh, always the best uh, advice that I have. All right, all right. So I guess a demo is the next step. So yeah, mm -hmm. uh, definitely get in touch for that. Uh, last question for you, uh, Dan, is about just your roadmap and you know what's ahead. What are you most excited about? Uh, stuff that's down the road for Dig. Uh, if you can give us a teaser, uh, that'd mm -hmm. be a, an exciting uh, way to end our conversation on Dig today. Yeah. Um... Our goal is to expand wherever data lives. Um, and DIG is going to expand to other locations where data lives. Currently, we focus on cloud, uh, but we're expanding to other locations. And that's kind of the uh, tip that I can share right now, but, okay. uh, but wait for uh, new announcements coming up soon. All right, all right, cool. I guess there's a newsletter we could sign up for it to hear about this. Yes, correct. All right. Awesome. So. Um, yeah, that's pretty much all the questions we had for Dan about Dig. But before we let him go, uh, a couple of questions to get to know Dan a bit. Uh, so here you go, Dan. Uh, the first question for you, what would your alternate career be if not for your job in tech? Hmm. Um, 
I was looking at this question and I was kind of thinking about this. I don't have a good answer. Um, I think I have two, two main things that I was looking at. First off, I would love to be a writer. Um, I like to write um, about specific wow. topics. I love to do the research uh, and then kind of share my thoughts and, and um, articulate my thoughts on a piece of paper. I like that. Or not on a piece of paper, but on the keyboard. Uh, and if not, that may be a musician. I think those are kind of the two things that I really like to do. Um, that I can, that I think I can also be pretty good at. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Neat. Do you, have, do you have any songs that you've written? Um, yes, I do. But uh, <laughs> but those are still in the drawers. <laughs> yeah, good to know. Uh yeah, I can kind of relate as well. Uh, I have a love for writing and music as well. <laughs> uh, one uh, software tool or product that you think is very elegantly built? Um, so in Israel, we have this application. They're called Walt. Walt is like kind of a Deliveroo or Uber Eats. I think it's a fantastic product. It's just really, really, really good. I mean, everything is just easy. Um, we use Walt a lot here because uh, our office is kind of not near restaurants. Uh, everyone kind of sits and eats together in the office. I just think that their product is unbelievable. The UI is phenomenal. <laughs> and even while you wait, they kind of uh, give you games to play until you wait for your food. I, I just think it's a fantastic product. Wow, interesting. Really cool. I should go check out. Definitely. Twain, I lost you for a second. Bit of developer, bit of a marketer, bit of a finance guy, product guy, everything. In fact, um, which of these uh, do you most? Which of these most excites you, and which do you most relate to? I think I'm more of a product guy. Uh, I like <laughs> to to code myself, but I'm I'm more of a product guy. I like to build products. I enjoy that that piece of the puzzle. I enjoy everything, but I think I'm mostly a product guy. Okay. Yeah, I think it's problem solving. <laughs> yeah, that's neat. Um, your next question: What would be one core value that you have as a CEO? I think it's mostly around transparency, transparency mm -hmm. um, and open communication. Mm -hmm. um, I think that the more information you provide to your surrounding, the better that they'll be able to perform in doing their job. I mean, <clears throat> many times I see managers frustrated that their employees don't understand, don't understand them and they don't perform well. And I always tell those managers, they see more of the picture that their employees do. So if you kind of constantly um, release more and more information, trying to paint the entire picture uh, for your employees, I think that's uh, that's one of the keys to success when managing a big team. That's awesome. Wow, that's a great answer. Uh, the last question uh, we have for you today, Dan, is uh, where do you go to find out what's new and happening in tech? Today, to be honest, it's mostly LinkedIn. Um, I yeah. think I've, I've amassed uh, a fantastic kind of um, group of connections on LinkedIn. 
And, and I think we share a lot of kind of our, our, our interests. To me, it's a lot of cloud and security. Um, I think uh, those are kind of the main things that I follow today. Um, I think my network shares fantastic content and I try to share fantastic content from my side as well to enrich my network. I think LinkedIn yeah, yeah. today is my main source of, of news and updates. Interesting. And the algorithms have gotten really good at recommending relevant stuff as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, with that, we come to the end of this conversation. Uh, thank you so much, Dan, for joining us uh, and, you know, just uh, giving us the lowdown on data security and even explaining how uh, dig security approaches this whole challenge. It was very interesting. Uh, so for everyone watching, if you're interested in uh, knowing more about dig definitely go to their website, dig.security, and uh, you know um, check out all of the content they have on the blog and sign up for a demo. And uh, yeah, um, with that, you know, I'd like to come to the end of this conversation. Thanks again, Dan, and thank you everyone for joining us. Stay tuned for the next episode. Thank you. Thank you so much.